Snark Built In. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's dodging copyright claims from Aggie Yell leaders, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I mean, I'm always down for a good Aggie Yell leader joke. Is there a, is there a specific... Copyright claimers, it because we failed to uh, we 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 ran out of time instead of losing. So um, midnight yell practice got out again, got out into the wild. The internet is discovering it specifically because an A and M yell leader made the claim that he did not know uh, that Appalachian State was real. And so after they uh, proved how real they were in College Station, thanks for the money, Aggies, Appalachian State Twitter went crazy. The Internet then discovered it. Uh, How weird Midnight Yell is, they have been trying to copyright strike every copy of that video from the Internet. But when (laughs) something's on the Internet, it's there forever. That's amazing. Um, You know, A&M. I think they have a law school now. It's not as it's not as seasoned maybe as UTs. I hope they have some seasoned assist lawyers, especially the way they ferociously come after uh, anyone who, who says the words twelfth and or uh, uh, I can't even say it, caballero. Um, <laughs> I'm, not gonna say, I'm not going to say it in, in English, uh, lest they come after us. Yeah, the, a litigious group, a very sensitive group. Tony Busby being your most famous alumni, I guess that makes sense. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's you know. Anytime a yell leader is for any reason in the news, whether it's, you know, saying uh, that he wants Joe Paterno to die before a Penn State game or, uh, you know, just being generally weird doofuses, I I feel like the entire country takes a moment to be like, oh, they're not just like a a, a rabid college football fan base. There's something more here that's more off and creepier than every other school in the country. And in that, I feel validated. Again, we have all been talking about how weird this cult in College Station is for a very long time. And then when the internet figures it out, like, the number of people that I have unfortunately had to inform what whooping is, <laughs> I like, everyone's like, what's the weird thing they're doing when they make these terrible jokes or they lean back? And I'm like, it's a whoop. And what a whoop is, there are different kinds of whoops that you can do based on your status in the class. You cannot fully whoop until you're a senior. I wish I was making that up. I wish I did not know that, and I wish I was making it up. Why is that in my brain? Yeah, for all the Aggies who listen to this podcast, feel free to, to leave us some, some messages. Uh, you can tweet at the show, at GH Goodrich, with any of your, uh, any of your specific recommendations for uh, Aggie traditions and, and why and how you're allowed to, uh, how to, allowed to whoop. Bring it, weirdos. But we're not here to talk about AM. We're here to talk about uh, Texas taking Alabama to the brink. Formerly number one, now number two, Alabama, thanks to, well, the aforementioned Texas Longhorns uh, getting a shot at it. Texas uh, had a lead going into um, the third, going into the fourth quarter, had a lead with 90 seconds left on the clock, but could not get it done. Texas falls thanks to a last second field goal, 20 to 19 to the Alabama Crimson Tide. For a team that was given absolutely no shot 
a team that was 20 point underdogs. People were saying smash the over uh, for a team that uh, people on the internet said, why are they going there? Alabama is going to beat them up. Uh, this turned out to be a portent of things to come in a crazy day of college football with Texas standing toe to toe. The lowly Texas Longhorn standing toe to toe with the big bad Crimson Tide. Yeah, it, it, Jason Kirk, um, the arbiter of, of whether or not something is a blood week, the creator of the term, so he gets to decide if a college football week of upsets and weirdness is officially a blood week, has determined that this was a blood week, but Texas uh, actually getting the win would have made it the all-time blood week, he said, uh, because basically Texas you know, tied Bama at worst uh, in, in, the, <laughs> in the school of public arbitration that he will go ahead and call it a blood week with the number one team uh, not winning. Um, so, you know, it, look, yeah, it, home field advantage for Texas, they made the most of it. Otherwise, it was two teams that were relatively, you know, evenly matched, did different things well, not necessarily the same things, but throughout the game, traded you know, haymakers are really honestly jabs um, with, with just not a ton of haymakers on the Texas uh, side after the beginning or, or Alabama, honestly. Um, and, this is and old school SEC football, man. An SEC game honestly broke out. They're almost even in yards. Um, they didn't have any turnovers. Uh, you know, coaches kind of played things relatively conservatively. We got really jazzed about big punts. There was a lot of kicks uh, that were, you know, of, of note, uh, whether they win in or not. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 an SEC game, vintage, you know, early 2000s uh, broke out and uh, Texas looked every bit the part, right? Again, you, you, you say Alabama had all those penalties and that's so rare. And we'll talk about each of these in a bit more depth. But, uh, you know, it, it was Texas's chance to host a, a big game and the crowd showed up and did their thing. And the, the team, you know, weathered an, an incredible amount of adversity and, and showed as much heart as I have seen from a Texas football team in years, years. I missed on both my Podstradamus picks, but I feel pretty good in saying, like, what I wanted to see from Texas in this game was seeing how hard they could get hit and get back up. And Quinn Ewers getting injured, right? Or Jace McClellan going 81 yards for a score. I talked about it in the postgame uh, with Seahorn, but, like, those are the types of moments in years past where Texas folds, right? And there's not an ounce of fold in this team, at least from what we saw. Because if it didn't happen against Alabama, I hope it doesn't happen against UTSA or whoever, right? But, like, that's not a shot at the Roadrunners. You and I are big fans of them. But, like, Alabama and UTSA are essentially playing different sports at this point. Um, but, like... In my mind, like that is the biggest takeaway from this is that in a year, in, in in an era where Texas, again, if they get punched in the mouth in the past, they've had this penchant to fold where one thing turns into two things and two things turn into six things, right? A year ago, two years ago, that Jason McClellan 81-yard run turns into a three and out on offense and then a 15-play scoring drive to go up two scores and it's never close from there. And that's what we did not see. And that's what I wanted to see from Texas. And again, we're not in the moral victories and I'll talk about it more, but I think when we look at as, as observers, that that's our job is to be observers of this team and observers of what is happening on the field. That is the most notable thing for me. We'll talk about the defense in just a minute. Cause that's the other really notable thing for me and really the point of attack on either side of the ball. But in the past, there would be moments where you'd see Texas fold, where the shoulders would slump, the eyes would get big. And it's like, Oh, Crap, it's happening again. And I did not see that. I saw a team that said, I'm not scared of you. I don't care what happened in the past. I don't care who you are. I don't care what happened in 2008 or whatever. 
This is this is our moment, and we're going to win the game. And that's what I wanted to see, and that's what we saw, and it was incredible. The I mean, the amount of adversity in that just that span packed in, right? So the the non call kind of uh, pass interference where he was he was holding Jatavian Sanders, you know, arms uh, to to his sides as he tried to jump up and catch the ball with his teeth, I guess. Uh, you know, where you lost four points there, and then the next play immediately is the eighty-one yard run. That back to back absolutely deflates this team in previous years. And then on the ensuing touchdown drive, when you show the stuff you're made of, yours goes out again. The narrative replays itself. Star quarterback in the first quarter. Game can go either way. Goes out. Like, all of these things. Like the amount of drama passed in there. But how did they respond, the defense specifically? Six straight punts. They forced six straight punts in that span. I mean, it's really... It's incredible. That's the reason this was a game, is they just... That spine stood up straight. They 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 showed some fortitude that I don't know any team in the country could match. Just the amount of things that happened. And, of course, that, that wears down after a while. Alabama has a lot of, you know, one of their 913 assistants saw something uh, <laughs> to change up and try some different things, you know, uh, empty sets and, and let, you know, your quarterback run when that wasn't really a part of the scouting report necessarily and, and you know, get some, some stuff there. Yeah, they fought back. You knew they would. But but again, when you're talking about responding to adversity, when you saw the fourth quarter, when Alabama finally breaks their punt streak and gets a touchdown on a long drive of empty back or one back spread formation and just kind of gets underneath and slices and cuts and dices you up and, and the Heisman quarterback finally looks like the Heisman quarterback uh, and they have a fourth down conversion in there. Again, they could have absolutely folded. But what did they do on the next drive? They got the stop on fourth down for the yep. second consecutive drive. Bama goes on fourth down, the fourth and inches this time. I mean, that's hard, man. And they drive down and hit a big field goal when Card is literally like, you know, being carried away from being Byron Leftwich. Just yes, <laughs> it's incredible. It really is inspiring. I think that to me, like, is emblematic of what I love to see in this game, right? Because. The big questions going into this, especially after what happened against Arkansas a year ago, is can Texas acquit itself in the trenches? Can Texas come up and body Alabama where it matters the most? And being able to go up against this defensive front, being able to go up against the Alabama freaking Crimson Tide offensive line and say, we're not going to give you a freaking inch. Like that is not Texas football that we've seen in the last decade. That is a that is Texas football that we saw that beat USC in the national championship. I'm not comparing this defense to that because that was a chock full of NFL guys defense but what I am saying is we haven't seen that type of defense since Brian Arakpo was on campus and since, since Sergio Kindle was on campus since Earl Thomas was roaming in the secondary we haven't seen that physicality that ability in a very long time and to me that is again one of the things that we have to talk about and so let's let's just go ahead and start there we'll start with the defense I know it's second in the show notes but we're going we're going rogue here um when we talk about this game, it is impossible to tell the story of this game without talking about the six consecutive punts, right? That is that is the stretch of the game. That was a make or break, and, and it did a little bit of both for Texas, honestly. Uh, it made the defense and the offense's inability to respond kind of uh, broke Texas a little bit there. That's not really what we're going to harp on, but this Texas for five consecutive three and outs, six punts, and held Bryce Young to a really um, – most of that yardage that he his his uh, 213 yards of the day, most of that yardage came in like the final two or three drives of that game uh, to to 
to come away with the win. And so like that middle stretch for Texas, the fact that they didn't have an actual ride receiver go over 40 yards receiving, like all of these questions we had for Texas, I didn't expect them to be answered against Alabama, but they sure as heck were. In the second and third quarters, Gerald, they held Alabama to 43 total yards combined. They held them to two first downs across two quarters. They only had six first downs as a team in the first three quarters of football. Like, we're talking not about a Gary Patterson TCU defense. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, an Alabama defense in, in, in you know, the, the, the early Saban prime when, you know, they threw the ball six times and, and had, you know, nine first rounders on the defense. We're talking about, you know, Miami in the, in, in the 80s. I, I, we're talking about a team playing Iowa. Um, so <laughs> I was really Current bad at the Iowa. offense. Current <laughs> Iowa. Um, but no, I mean, th- that's really, out, like, absurd. Yes, admittedly, one of those was an 81-yard touchdown, so they didn't have to have a bunch of first downs on that drive. Um, but that was just one thing that schemed right, had a couple blown assignments, and, and you really didn't see that again so again responding from that incredible but uh, yeah I mean just just like take a second to think about that um I thought the overall tackling looked good they had a lot of plays where you know Baron or Cook or you had someone in space and if they missed the tackle like in years past on a on a bubble screen uh that goes for a lot of yards and that eats Texas up and it looked like Texas was playing downhill getting to receivers behind the line of scrimmage Cook had two tackles for loss because he blew up uh, bubble screens that again were, were were a bane to Texas existence in previous years. They played hair on fire downhill. I'm going to hit you before you can make a play type of defense. And and if the first guy missed, there was two guys behind him. You saw gang tackling. I mean, it, it really was incredible. And look, we we know about the Ewers injury. I mean, at one point, uh, obviously uh, Deshaun Jameson went went out. Uh, almost had my Potsdamus with an interception that would have. You know, really certainly affected the game. That had gone um, the other way. That was going for six if he caught it, and that had gotten both of us. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We we certainly would have taken that one, and I believe I believe that was was that the Alabama touchdown drive. Uh, either way, I, it it or no, I guess not because Alabama had the touchdown drive on the play. But nonetheless, I, I believe that that uh, you know UT was not in the greatest offensive straights either. So those points would have been uh, would have been helpful right in that specific part of the game flow, but. With Jamison out, there was a point, I believe Watts was just cramping, but he had a, a, a series off, at least one. Um, when at the stadium, I noticed he was on the sideline stretching, and I was like, wait a minute, who's in? It was Jameer Johnson and Austin Jordan. Uh, at one point, Xavier and Bryce even got in. Um, it, that's, like, not what anyone expected, and, and that wasn't that was when we were shutting Alabama down. It was in the middle of that stretch with freshmen corners. Like, I mean, it really was a next man up mentality. They didn't rotate a ton of guys. They played with their best for as much as they could. And I thought that's incredible, but you saw it with Hudson Carter in the offense, but you honestly saw it with, with Johnson. They, they, they did pick on him on the kind of fourth quarter uh, scoring drives. They realized a freshman, when you split him out five wide is on an Island and just attacked him and stuff. Yeah. Credit to them. I mean, there's not much you can do. I think three straight and then a, uh, a Bryce young rush. were all targeting basically his area. Um, but I'm not mad at him, right? Like that's no. you know, that's a lot to ask. But the fact that it took until the end of the fourth before Bama could even find a little bit of daylight to do anything, um, credit to the the defense, and then honestly credit to Kwiatkowski, Patterson, and the whole defensive staff for this for this scheme, right? They 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 attack things against Bama like you know different wrinkles, different blitzes. That Watts blitz that you know oh, almost got Ooh. home. Uh, on the final drive also worked earlier in the game uh, where he did hit 
quarterback, but he, he basically pitched it out and ended up with a tackle for a loss on the other side by Jalen Ford, but could have very easily been a sack. Also, we got to work on Bryce Young being able to throw the ball as people are hitting him. I, he shouldn't be able to do that. It's not fair. Um, but, you know, like, it, 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 that was a nice wrinkle. Ovi uh, sliding in and being a stand-up blitzer, not on the edge, but off of a, off of a, a tackle. Um, Didn't have that on my bingo card. Was interesting. I mean, these are really interesting schematic things that Texas did that absolutely affected Alabama's offense. Absolutely. Alabama shot themselves in the foot. Some Alabama... Didn't execute some, but absolutely Alabama was put off what they game planned and wanted to do by Texas defense for three quarters out scheming them. And they not have no answer, no, no punch back. That's where six straight punts comes from. And you mentioned something earlier on about that Jace McClellan run and guys being out of position. One of the things that like I was standing on the table for in the post game is how Jalen Ford responded to that, right? Because Jalen Ford was the guy that was out of position. Uh, Alfred Collins got his got his numbers turned, and that allowed the offensive tackle to block two guys, right? Like the the end got taken off, allowed the seam, and if the linebacker scrapes over the top properly, he's in the hole, but he missed his run fit. And then Jalen Ford comes out and has a heck of a game. Ten tackles, two for loss, a sack on a third down to force a punt. Like, again, I, I keep harping on it. But, like, those are the types of things where a kid, he's, he's, a, he's a, a second or third year, like, he's a second year player. Like, he's a young kid. He's a guy who could, again, have that, have that rough coaching that I'm sure he got on the sidelines, uh, could do one of two things for him. And it absolutely motivated him. And so seeing those guys respond, seeing the young guy, seeing, Ryan Watts, again, a guy who we love. And, and again, I talked about it in the post-game live stream just a little bit, but one of the things that I really uh, loved about this game, and I, and I mean this not as a joke but as a compliment, is like we didn't notice guys for the wrong reasons. And that in the past, we noticed the linebackers being – and, again, outside of that McClellan play, right, we noticed that the, the – the, the the edge the end did not set the edge and the linebacker was in the wrong spot and that's about the only time that I really noticed a guy for the wrong reason I, a lot of the noticing was like oh that guy was in the right spot oh that guy was and, and to me that is again uh, an emblematic of what we want to see and need to see from Texas is the little things because when you notice the guys it's because they messed something up that was a little thing it's because they they didn't follow through their fundamentals there was something off about their delivery how they handled it there was something wrong and so the fact again that we didn't notice them is a positive sign for me and and again this is a secondary a, a secondary is a mix of older guys that should be better and a mix and younger guys that need some more uh need some more uh, reps in the trenches but they held Alabama, these five-star Alabama wide receivers to a pretty paltry day. Jameer Gibbs is an absolute nightmare as a uh, mismatch because a linebacker, it's 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 the classic where a linebacker just can't cover that guy, and it is what it is. Um, but, like, when the running back is the leading receiver, that's a good thing for your defense. Yeah, absolutely. And, look, it was it – was, uh... Ekior, their 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 guard, who actually got outside on that one and, and just destroyed Collins and got Ford in the same play. It was actually, I think, got pushed inside. It was Collins' fault, but also Sorrell was on the other side of him and he got pushed. Gilbode wasn't in a great uh, a great position on his angle, and um, uh, uh, Shark took himself out of the play by diving really hard towards the line of scrimmage. So it was like four or five things that happened 
perfectly for Alabama to execute. Again, one guy getting two blocks that well. Uh, and four Texas players all taking, I mean, put that on Ford for sure, but on all of those guys not getting there, right? And, and, and it happened. But then you saw, even if one guy was slightly out of position, they, Texas was playing so hard that it didn't happen. You saw, and, and, and it, that's how good Bryce Young is. In the first half, I was having conversations with the folks I was watching the game with in the stadium that you know you would not know that Bryce Young was the Heisman quarterback. If I told you one of these quarterbacks, and I'm not trying to say anything crazy here, but one of the quarterbacks in the in the first half was a Heisman quarterback, you say, oh, that guy who got hurt for Texas. Um, Young Young was good in, 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 in the second half, but in the first half, you wouldn't really necessarily know that. But that's why he is going to play on Sundays for a long time. He's so smart. He's so good. He's agile. He's he's an amazing athlete. What he started doing in the second half was taking advantage a couple times of Texas being so eager to make the play where when he makes these crazy scrambles that very few other quarterbacks make, I had two different people describe him as Manzielesque uh in 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 the second half. I mean I believe it's Manzielian. Menzelian, yes, the the touchdown pass that they had, their only other touchdown, was him avoiding a sack at the line of scrimmage, diagonally sprinting out 12 yards, resetting his own little pocket, uh, seeing Gibbs basically uh, slip behind Watts, but because Overshone says, I'm going to go make this sack because Young has now been using his legs on the previous few drives, I'm going to go make the sack and not let him beat us here. Basically between Watts and thinking Overshone's there and Overshone vacating the zone, he takes a crushing shot from, I believe, Coburn, but still whips a perfect ball to a pretty open Gibbs for that touchdown. But that's, A, takes multiple things. A scrambling quarterback doing all the perfect things, having the perfect arm angle timing and ability to put that pass in, resetting the pocket where he did, like all of that. It took, like anytime Bama had those plays, it took something magic. The Watts play, his knee almost went down. It didn't, but almost went down because he went so low to the ground to get under that sack. Not many people stand back up. I do that. I'm at the freaking chiropractor for a month fixing my back. <laughs> you know, goes down like that, pops back up, and then runs 20 yards. Was there a hold? Sure, but I don't think Ovi gets him after that anyways. It's just a, that's a Heisman play. There were multiple in the second half. It wasn't, you know, Texas's defense failed. It was Bryce Young made Heisman plays and, and, and there's no other way to put it those were plays that make Heisman reels I mean there was one uh drop pass where he he did the same thing in the first half where he scrambled and, and put about 40 yards down the field and his receiver dropped it again a Heisman play there's only three maybe most quarterbacks in the country who can make the play that he did he had about four or five of those and then basically the whole final drive right like what he did his final three drives 15 for 19 127 41 rush yards one touchdown that's most of his stats for the game it honestly is but his ability to do that on the final three drives when it mattered, um, when they basically just opened up. I knew Texas was in trouble on the final scoring drive when their, their running back who'd been eating us up, Gibbs, comes in in the backfield. And just casually, as if he wasn't about to go do a game-winning drive, uh, you see Young just tap him on the chest and point out and just doesn't – no animation, just, hey, you need to go out completely to the opposite side of the field and I'm going <laughs> to run this play. And just waits for him to get out there and then gets a first down. Like, I mean – he was just he was just lights out. I think he was five for seven on that final drive, and the only two that weren't were, were end zone shots before they took the field goal to see if he could get the touchdown. I mean, second half Bryce Young was pretty magical. I have to give him credit, but gosh, it took all of that. It took every bit of that to get the best of the Texas defense. So they need to be commended. They really, truly did. They they held Alabama's you know running running game utterly in check. We said it last week. We were like, it's just ULM. It's just ULM, right? 
but this defense played fast, this defense played physical, this defense played big, and it was one of the better defensive performances I've seen from a Texas Longhorn defense in a very long time. Two sacks, seven hurries, six tackle for losses. Uh, Holding the running backs to, um, like, Jameer Gibbs had 2.4 yards per carry. Again, he had a bunch of receptions. But holding Alabama's running game outside of that 81-yard touchdown run, 2.6 yards per carry. Like, those are the things that are going to set you up for success in the Big 12. And Texas talked about, like, this is not going to define our season, but this should absolutely be something that you build off of moving forward. Yeah, and just quick shout-out. You talked about Jalen Ford, you know, big, big plays that sack. Anthony Cook. A lot of cover zero put him in, in positions he had to do what he had to do when he did it. Two tackles for loss, nine total tackles. Overshone flew around five solo tackles. I thought Watts was really good. Uh, if he has two sacks instead of two near sacks, I think we're talking about Ryan Watts as a player of the week. Five tackles, two near sacks that don't show up on the uh, – one. I guess one's a hurry. Um, but in the box score, Ogofu got home for a sack. Vern Broughton, two quarterback hurries in there. You know, good to see that. Uh, the fact that Texas had seven hurries and two sacks – so we just call that as quarterback pressures total, nine of those. And Bama had, I think, five total in the stat sheet. Now, you know, took a lot to get there, and we'll talk about the <laughs> offense, but is not, is not in a million years how I would have thought this game, you know, ended up. So moving on to the offense, there's two different offenses we have to talk about in this game, Kyle. There's the offense with Quinnifilius Ewers on the field, and there's the offense. So there's three, really three offenses. There's the offense with Quinn Ewers and the offense with Hudson Card. Then there's the offense with one-legged Hudson Card. There are like three different offenses uh, that you have to talk about when you talk about this game. And I think specifically for um, Texas, it is frustrating to see, once again, an Alabama team that's very beatable doesn't get beat because a quarterback gets injured, right? Like, I was having flashbacks. I uh, I made a joke on Twitter that, like, it, it we are still feeling the effects of Mac Brown's monkey paws bargain to beat USC. Like, th- that's the only way to describe the series of events that really started and like, oh, wait, when Michael Crabtree uh, scores that touchdown because Earl Thomas thought he heard a whistle from the stands. Like, it's the only way to explain what the heck happened. But, um you know, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. That's what football is. Quinn Ewers in the first quarter, 9 of 12 for 134 yards. Should have probably had more than that based on um, some pass interference calls that didn't happen. Xavier Worthy had a long touchdown pass um, that he wasn't able to haul in completely. Uh, Hudson Card came in 14 to 22 for 158 yard, 158 yards uh, as well. Had a couple of scrambles in there as well. Used his legs. The quarterbacks to me were simultaneously not the story of the offense and the story of the offense, right? Because you obviously can't tell the story of this game without talking about Quinn Ewers getting hurt. Like, you can't tell the story of this game. Um, But for me, the story of the game, or at least what I noticed more, was the fact that I am still baffled at how much better Xavier Worthy looked than the Alabama cornerbacks. How Jordan Whittington bodied up this vaunted Alabama secondary and how they played one of the best games from that tandem that I've seen in a complete... Again, Xavier Worthy thought that dude was food. Every down. And really, in the fourth quarter, that dude was still food, but Hudson Card didn't have legs to push off of to throw touchdown passes. He had him beat on a double move. That was six. We saw it. We all saw it, and the ball went up, and he just wasn't in the right spot. He didn't have the chutzpah behind it to do it. But 
seeing again, I don't know if they're going to see a defensive back as good as Kool-Aid McKinstry for the rest of the season. And so seeing the promise of this receiving core, and again, we'll, we'll have, we'll know more. Both are air quotes listed as day to day. Sark is doing that thing. Uh, they're both, both quarterbacks are listed as day to day, but we know uh, relatively serious injuries for both. I would believe for Texas, there's a lot of promise. We've got to see again, is Hudson card healthy for the weekend? Is Quinn Ewers going to be healthy by OU? Seeing Ewers match the hype um, was one of the most cathartic moments I've had watching Texas football in a very, very long time. I talked about PK and, and Patterson scripting, honestly, first three quarters, but but opening script on, on the defense and, and letting Alabama adjust to that. I mean, I, I thought Sark's opening script was phenomenal, and I thought all the things you saw him do with Ewers was phenomenal. I wanted to see how they counterpunched because basically they they knew and guessed correctly and I think you know based on their opening being a tight end, tight end screen and an RPO they <clears throat> they understood that the game was there to get other people involved off of Bijan action because Alabama put seven eyes on Bijan they basically yep. said Quinn Ewers will have to beat us and then after Ewers goes out they said well Hudson Card will have to beat us and then when when he was out it's okay well now you're hobbled second string quarterback <laughs> with no real other option uh, you know in this caliber of game will have to beat us. It will not be Bijan Robinson. And, and, you know, that's gotta be frustrating for Bijan who himself had a, a, a good game. Um, but, but just, you know, at all times there, there's guys on him. I mean, they're some of their most successful plays, their big shot plays were, were off Bijan action. You know, that they were keying on Bijan Robinson and, and they did a, a really great job. Again, I, I wish they got the four points early on, on, you know, one of those throws to Jatavian Sanders in, in the end zone, especially the, you know, Kool-Aid is, is very good, but, uh, you know, I think Sanders without his arms held down has a chance to go up with his extra five inches and, and maybe catch one of those balls. But, um, you know, it, it he came back and, and they, they, again, credit to Sark, like the way they schemed, knowing that, that Bama could only do that with man coverage and, and knowing that, Worthy could not be covered, man coverage, like that amount of confidence. They basically were were sending, you know, max protect, right? Like they were sending Jatavian uh, to flow across and, and chip uh, Sanders or, or basically, you know, keep a running back in a tight end uh, as, as, you know, up backs like a uh, on a punt play to keep the secondary shield from the pass rush was genius because you had a player like worthy and a guy like Whittington who could help him the short to medium stuff and extend stuff after the catch. Uh, but you had worthy just, just absolutely dominating to where Alabama had to adjust and put safeties over the top, even though they wanted to stop Bijan, they had to switch it up uh, because worthy was that good. And so again, with all three of their, their three headed monster that we talked about all season with viewers worthy uh, and, and Robinson, I would have loved to see what they could have done. And again, all the complimentary parts, we didn't really get to see that uh, beyond the, the touchdown, you know, and, and field goal that was hoped for more. Uh, but really that's all you got is those two drives, but you hoped that uh, could have been two touchdowns and, and then some, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you, you can never say a slanderous word about Hudson Card if you're a Longhorn fan uh, again after today, because I will say all the talk about how great yours was and how much he looked like he lived up to the hype. How hard is it to come in as the second guy taking no first team reps all week knowing that yours was the starter over you and come in and say don't worry i'm gonna i'm gonna pick i'm gonna put the team on the on the back and and you know i love the story that that came out that Bijan said he prayed with card over it just like these guys want it they're a team they're they're you know next man up again mentality and hudson i mean 
as his body degraded and parts of him were left on the field, it seemed like that last 20 yard scramble honestly looked like he put the team on his back. The guy, the Madden video of someone running down the field uh, after the hardest hit in his safety in the league broke his leg. Uh, <laughs> like he, he, he couldn't hardly move his body, but he gutted a second and 19 scramble for 20 yards. Like it was, it was downright heroic. I mean, and, and again, it's not just, oh, he did. He went 14 for 22 for 158, had first down scrambles of 9 and 20. He had another seven-yard scramble uh, where he got his injury. But, I mean, he, he did some things. Was he perfect? No. But, I mean, again, Alabama's defense is not give perfect. You just have to take what you can get, make some plays, and, and, and you know, hope you can break through that. Like, for all that Texas did and for, that Alabama didn't do, Alabama's defense lived up to the billing. They are very 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 good and texas still was able to do a lot against them yeah and i think that that to me is the the selling point right and specifically when you think about um you know B, the the Bijan robinson play that that sent that clinched your um your pod stradamus that that long pass that he had i when i when you go back and watch the game if you watch it from the all 22 like behind the quarterback angle it's not just about the throw from Card. It's not just about the catch from Bijan. But if you look at the end, the the battles of the the offensive tackles and the Alabama pass rush, Kelvin Banks going one on one with the best pass rusher, the presumptive number one pick. That's a one on one rep win for Kelvin Banks, a true freshman going out there with a guy who is going to be picked number one. I like if Will Anderson is not picked number one, his legs have fallen off, right? Like that. And then on the other side, and, and we have to say this because we talked all about him last year, up and down. Christian Jones had his man held him at the point of attack, was not giving a darn inch. Like, and I am so freaking impressed with the growth that those guys have shown, right? Christian Jones came last year, was the worst graded offensive lineman in the conference, according to Pro Football Focus, right? Just absolutely just got beat on pass rush time after time. And he was one of the top offensive linemen in the country this week, going up against the Alabama pass rush. And that, to me, again, we, we the questions we had going into the year are the same questions we have had every year that we've watched Texas football uh, since... I don't know, 2010, 2011, maybe. It's like, what is this offensive line going to be? And for the first time in a long time, I feel like the offensive line for Texas is going to be a strength for the offense. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to be perfect, right? And you and I went into this season saying, just don't be bad, right? Just be okay. And they were way better than okay on Saturday. And I'm going to let you know a little secret. There are a couple of really good pass rushers in the Big 12 that were up there in the top five in the country against uh, right behind Will Anderson a year ago. So it's not going to get much easier. It might get slightly easier, maybe 5% easier. But you've got guys in at West Virginia and Iowa State and Kansas State that are really, really Oklahoma State, they're really good pass rushers. Uh, so the fact that they acquitted themselves so well against the Alabama pass rush was incredible. Bijan only had six care, uh, six lost yards in it. And again, some of that goes with Bijan not losing yards, but like that's just not what he does. Uh, but the fact that, that he was the focal point of their defensive scheme and both he and the offensive line played such a good game that he only lost six yards, right? That, um, that to me, again, I was expecting Will Anderson's Heisman campaign to start on Saturday. Like just, just full transparency. And not only did it not, but he was so frustrated at times that he got way outside of himself for like 80% of that game, was not playing great, was making dumb penalties, was making dumb choices. And part of that goes with the fans, right? And part of that is Texas got in his head. 
And I think in my mind, like, I have not seen anybody frustrate Will Anderson like that outside of the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the line deserves a ton. And, and again, I'll go back to the scheme, right? The, we saw a little bit of a hint of it, but Carrick coming in as an extra tight end, basically having a six lineman set. Like, I, I love it. Moving, you know, Sanders is, is a chipping. Bijan had, had you know, some stellar step up in the hole and absorb blocks, especially late in the game. Um it's tough, right? It's tough. Like you, you, you're scheming, so you're taking some things away. But they, they made the calculations and they did some things. I, I keep coming back to again after Ewers goes down, they do get the touchdown because they're on the goal line. But they basically in their next few series, it, it just feels like they do crab up a little bit on offense. They punt yep. um, three straight times, and and then it was. There was a perception change, you know, again, for all of us who thought, you know, let's, if we if we cover, we're great. If we keep it with the two scores, what a win that will be. Um, at the end of the half, right, the, I think the whole game and, and that drive also itself, perceptions changed. Uh, they were going to run the clock out, but then BJ Bijan pops off an 18-yarder. Like, the one time he's able to get a little bit of space, he goes, and then it follows it up immediately. Like, hurry up, go, get him the ball. He's hot with that big catch. So it goes from run the clock out, goes from we just want to hang to – let's go win um then there's back-to-back pass interference calls again a lot of pass interference i think i'm not being you know cynical i think it is coached the way ou also coaches like if you get beat it's better to grab their face mask if you get beat it's better 15 is better than six yep and for for ou who is the alabama of of the big 12 as much as i hate to say it like you're gonna make our conference refs call it on us right that's the ou coaches mentality for alabama it's hey we're alabama are you really gonna beat us referees like they force a ref to make a call. And, and a lot of them they called, a couple of them, some of them they didn't. Um, but back-to-back pass interferences, and then we haven't really talked about it, but imagine the scenario where if Ewers is in or if, if Card's just a little bit more confident in himself and he makes that boundary throw to Worthy, one because Worthy had him beat on the comeback one, yep. one, tick, one, one tick sooner, and he doesn't have to, to be taken out of bounds. He even has a chance to toe touch to keep that in that's a touchdown you're up 17 the field goal doesn't get shanked blocked whatever i think shanked and blocked um but well, it, it went down credited as a block to will anderson sure give it to him <laughs> um but i mean it, it was a bad snap which you know we saw some of and and it just got shanked um but you know you're going into halftime like i just i just think about that they, they basically had the play they wanted the matchup they wanted with worthy there if that was yours, or again, if Card had a little bit more confidence, a little bit more, you know, at first team, this is me, and was able to get that out one second sooner, didn't, you know, take him so far to the sideline, could have been an entirely different game. And we, our perception as fans, I think as the team, as players, went from, ah, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't go get it, versus, oh, just happy to be here, happy to hang, look at us, this is great, you know, and... They came out in the second half, and it took truly, like I said before, to go back to it, a Heisman performance from the other quarterback versus our half of our second quarterback, and it still was one point and a couple calls away from going the other way. Gerald, the only thing to talk about in the, the offense that we haven't talked about is those field goals, right? You, Bert came up otherwise, but we had to take attempt four of them inside the 20. I mean, do you just chalk that up to Alabama being huge and having a bunch of big five-star guys at every position? Linebackers who, I mean, they are fast. They fly downhill. There's no secondary break stuff on them. Their safeties come up and tackle. Uh, their, their line just gets off blocks so well. I mean, it's so hard to do stuff when that field shrinks on those those athletes. I, I think their quality of defense shined in the red zone more than Texas's offense faulted. Uh, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and, and to me, it's the... I always think about having to play in a phone booth, right? And like the less the less space you have to operate, the more team speed comes into play. And I think like it's not nobody's going to be shocked to say that Alabama is the more talented team than Texas. And not that's not a shot at Texas. Alabama has the highest blue chip ratio in the country. It just is what it is. Like that's how math works. Uh, but when you the the smaller amount of field you have to play in, uh, the higher advantage uh, that the more talented the faster team has because against any other defense Bijan probably catches that corner and goes in for a touchdown right against any other defense you're able to get a, a that push but again when you're trying to run between the tackles against Alabama and they know you're trying to run between the tackles they're going to put every single body they have right there and when you've got you know when you've got Hudson card back there they're less worried about throwing that goal line fade and they know that the ref is not going to throw the flag if it's a one-on-one and the defensive back is tackling him at mid catch so in my mind, like that was the Alabama defense just bowed up. And that I think is the one thing, if there's one negative, there, there are things to take away. But I think the biggest negative for me is that Texas is going to have to clean that up in moving forward because there are, there are good defenses. There are good defensive yeah. fronts in the conference. And so if you cannot get the three yards you need uh, on the goal line with a running back like B. John Robinson, and maybe that's a situation where you go wildcat or you do something else, you mix it up, especially with the quarterback situation. That's the one thing that I'm that really yeah. gives me pause as as I think about this performance because there's a lot to take away from it. There's a lot of hype that we can roll into it. And as far as the the special teams miscues, it's insane to me that that, that you have a scholarship deep snapper and you can't get that cleaned up because. Yeah. Um, I think the block, as much as some of the sacks that Texas had on uh, Bryce Young were coverage sacks, that feels like a um, a process block, for lack of a better term. Because <laughs> everything was half a step slower than it should have been, that's why the finger gets on it. So the, snap, the hold was half a step slower because the ball was low. The kick was half a step slower because the, the ball was low. And so that's a process block in my mind. It's not necessarily on the defense. That's on, that's on the kicking team for not performing. And there's... There, there's the conversation of like field goals get you beat, which yes is true, and I believe that in a lot of ways. Um, and there was, the, you know, there were the, the stats guys are like, well, you know, seven's always better than six, and that's how it works. But when your defense is playing that well against Alabama, um, and you have seen that you cannot get those those three five yards in the red zone. If that goes in, we're, we're having a different conversation because that's a touchdown they need at the end of the game instead of a field goal. So we're having a completely different conversation. There's a lot that goes into having that discussion. There's a lot of nuance. If the refs see that Bryce Young's shin is on the ground when he throws that ball, we're having a different conversation because that's a touchdown instead of a field goal. So there's a lot of – there's a lot – there's a different conversation we need to have because there's so much nuance to those decisions. Is is it – again – I am a firm believer. Red zone field goals get you beat, and it happened against Texas. But with the way the defense was playing in Texas, again, if that field goal goes up and they continue to get those stops, that field goal, I don't feel I'm I'm would I have rather that been a touchdown? Ten times out of ten. But am I upset that Sark made that choice in that situation after decide because? It really what it seemed like to me is Sark was like, I don't have a scheme for for Hudson Card right now. So let's try to get out of this half with a tie. The the start of that drive was we're just gonna kill the clock. And then they crack it, it's and Bijan was like, I don't want to do that, coach. <laughs> and so when they got in position, Sark was like, Okay, let's push this ball a little bit. So in a situation in which you're content of getting out of the half right. with a tie, 
and you're trying to bleed the clock because you need to go in and scheme something up for the second half. That's right. Points were just laying up at that point, right? You weren't factoring that in. You were going in tied and feeling good about the way your defense was playing and regrouping with a different offense with a different quarterback, right? Like, I, you're, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, I, I will say uh, on on that one, I talked about the, the worthy touchdown, but the way they were eating Bijan up, I, I don't think it was the wrong call at all. They just were so strong against the run. I will also say, to, to Bijan's credit, with all of that in the first half, after he had the shoulder injury when I was rewatching. um he had seven more carries, uh, a big block uh, on on that downfield throw to Casey Kane, uh, where he stepped up and absorbed it with a, a bum shoulder, right? Like, he, he put the team on his back. He really did. Uh, I mean, both he and Hudson Carr, just warriors, and I'm very proud of them. But the, the thing, I, the first thing, I before I rewatched the game, I immediately went and watched the play that Ewers got hurt on. Um, masochist, I guess. But it, it, while devastating to watch, I was curious, because like, live, I was pretty upset. I didn't know, again, how tough it was to get two yards in Alabama when you have B. John Robinson, and you've been blocking relatively well to that point. But I, I saw it throughout the game. But the, the play, if, if butterfly effect, if they don't call the blitz that they did, um, basically in, in that package against the, uh, the play that Sark tried, they had been basically flowing uh, Sanders either in, in – pre-play motion or at the snap across as an extra blocker basically pick up who gets through but especially focus on the opposite end and so they ran a play that put all the motion flowing to the left like texas has put on tape before but they snuck sanders out like basically on a middle screen at the goal line that if you know there's not a freak five-star athlete in in uh dallas turner uh crushing ewers that's there. It was wide open, you know, if, if he doesn't get killed. Ewers makes the right play. Don't try to force it, throw it out. It just so happened to be able to do that. He left his feet, and then, you know, a guy launches into you, and yeah, there it is. But, uh, you know, I, lo- I I didn't like the call live. Went back and watched it. I liked the guts from, from Sark. I hate, you know, obviously what happened, but I don't know. Like I said, I think we will work some things out. I, I don't in no way think that, that we got out coached or made the wrong decisions. I think, you know, Everything was there for a game winner for Texas. Ball just didn't break their way. And we'll see. There were a lot of tough breaks for Texas. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, quick pod Stradamus update. Kyle hit on Bijan with 100 total yards and a score. Did not get his one takeaway for the defense. I had Bijan. I let myself talk myself into going. I had 20 originally. I ended up going 25 because I wanted to feel uh, gutsy. Bijan ended up with 21. And then I had a non-offensive touchdown. Again, Deshaun Jameson could have done us both a favor with that one. Kyle leads 2-1 on the year. We've got UTSA this weekend at 7 o'clock on Longhorn Network. We'll be back on Thursday to preview the number 21 Texas Longhorns taking on the UTSA Roadrunners. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Number one, volleyball continues to cut a swath through everybody that they face. Sleeping Denver three to nothing as they uh, close out the non-conference match or non-conference schedule getting ready for Big 12 play, spread the action around. Not not a lot of the uh, most familiar names uh, leading the statistics here, which is a good thing against Denver. Yeah, I mean, Madison Skinner will be a familiar name. I think she's All-American talent um, and, and really, you know, one of our best players uh, for sure. Uh, Kayla Caffey, glad to see her get eight kills, three blocks. Uh, reigning national player of the week logan eggleston didn't have to do a ton with their six kills but zoe fleck just continues to be the revelation in the season for me 16 digs one ace just just 
so unbelievably good. Yeah, that was a big, big uh, pickup for them in the offseason. Next up for Texas, Houston's coming to town on Thursday. There are just two more matches left before conference play. Number 23, soccer, uh, comes out of the week perfect, beating Utah State 2-1 and a little bit of a exciting one and then going up 5-0 on UT Rio Grande Valley. Yeah, uh, Lexi Massimo got the, the penalty kick early against Utah State, her first goal of the year. Uh, Trinity Byers got the closeout in the 63rd minute. Missed on that. It says 46 straight when they score at least two goals. UTRGV was a cruise. They only got one shot on goal. Uh, the other team, Texas, put five in the net. Um, it extended Texas' unbeaten uh, streak to five matches. Um, I really like to see. I, I did not believe this stat when I read it, but Missimo got her 21, 21st assist of her career in that one, moving her into a tie for fourth all-time in program history. Again, she's played one season plus six <laughs> games. So uh, she's real good, real unbelievably good. And Texas soccer hasn't been around that long. So like, let's just put that into context as well. But she's incredible. Uh, next up for soccer, they've got Texas Southern on Thursday, UCF on Sunday. And then two weeks from now, they'll be playing some conference Soccer Number 15, women's golf. It's good to have golf in this show. I missed it. Number 15, women's golf tied for second after the opening round of the Annika tournament, picking back up where uh, they they left off last spring. That's right. Bo Park led the Longhorns uh, with a three under round, second best of anyone in the opening round of the field. Uh, and this field includes some good ones, eight of the top 16 teams in the country there. And Bo Park looks uh, every bit the uh, – the All-American and, and uh, potential for an end-of-season uh, award type thing if, if first round of golf of the season is anything to judge by. Eight of the top 16 ranked teams in the nation in this tournament. So Texas uh, showing what they can do early, and hopefully they can close that out. We'll obviously have an update for you next week. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle... What are you banging the drum on this week? So I was fortunate and excited to, to be at the game. Um, a really great game to see live, a really great atmosphere. Um, it was fun. I will admit it. It was a fun game to be at other than, you know, the final outcome was tough, but it was fun. I I, I wanted to, to take a chance to commend all of the listeners of this podcast who are a part of that crowd, but just greater Longhorn Nation, right? I think there's been... Yeah, a pretty maybe not at times completely unfair but damning uh stereotype that texas games are quiet and texas fans are fair weather and you know it's the uh the wine and cheese crowd and they don't really watch the game and i'll tell you there was a lot of loud longhorns i mean will anderson kind of gave the Aggies their second loss of the weekend when he effectively said uh, it was louder than Kyle Field last year. He said it was the loudest and craziest environment he had he had ever played in. Um, so 105,000 turned out. They were great. The crowd cheered through, you know, some some tough stuff, right? Some some injuries, some, some stuff that could have deflated. And we talked about the team responding, but kudos, honestly, to the Texas fans. If, if you were there, I give you a, a round of applause. You were tremendous. I mean, you caused delay of games, false starts, timeouts because the clock wound down. I mean, it was so loud that there was multiple times that, that Bryce Young had to run out to his receivers on the edge to be able to communicate something to them. Um, that drive immediately after Ewer's injury, it just felt like the crowd was trying to come in and, and you know be the difference of, of the talent uh, gap that, that we had just, just lost. So um, I, I really thought it was incredible. Um, Alabama was rattled, right? I, you, Nick Saban will say they just didn't execute. But 15 penalties, 100 yards, both 
the highest in the Nick Saban era, right? The previous high was 13 penalties. Um, there was 10 in the first half, the most since 2010. Zero in the fourth quarter feels weird after the first three quarters, but maybe they just cleaned everything up and stopped doing it, except the opening play uh, of the fourth when they did tackle Keelan from behind uh, by his face mask in a time that would have given them a first down from like the one-yard line with three attempts to get in that would have been a touchdown that would have also probably won the game, but that's fine. It's not the point to just complain about the refs, but the, the people there did. They let the refs have it. They, they yelled and they uh, screamed and they put the horns up and they, they did um, everything you could ask of a, of, a, of a college football crowd. And I love that 97% of the crowd didn't move when the game was over. They, they stood there and let the horns run and, and sing the eyes of Texas. And they put the horns up and it was kind of the most somber bit because no one was happy but they were also proud of the guys and so every person sang but no one sang enthusiastically it was almost like a like a funeral dirge in a way but it was it was slightly haunting and beautiful um but again just just kudos to the crowd you you did affect the game i think you did give texas a home field advantage and we're gonna have to play some tough ones on the road this year but let's make it if this is our last year in the big 12 let's make it that way for the Kansases and, and you know, the, the, the less than uh, LSU, Notre Dame, Alabama names that we have gotten up for. And I'm sure we'll do in the SEC every week in and week out. But for every team that comes to play Texas, UTSA next week included, make it an absolute nightmare for them. Give that Texas home field advantage as the team pedals injuries uh, and all kinds of things. Give them that extra leg in Hudson Card's case, literally, to stand on. Early in the game, I was I was joking about Bama being shook, and then Bama really did look shook for a while. Um, and I remember, I I'll never forget uh, how it felt when Texas came out of the the locker room, and the crowd kind of felt flat early in the third quarter. It felt Texas was playing flat, the crowd was flat, and then there was a big third down play on defense, and that crowd blew up, and it was wasn't quiet ever again. Uh, and and Part of the biggest win of the Chris Del Conte era is transforming what Texas game days are and have been. Um, you know, there's the fact that they do general admission instead of ticket pulled now to force students to get there early and often is a big deal. The Bevo Boulevard and all of that, the, the walk-in, all of that is part of what has transformed the Texas game day experience and turned it uh, into from a laughing stock into a legitimate strength. I mean, again, Will Anderson has literally played in every stadium that the SEC has to offer and said this was the loudest and best environment he's been in for the home team. So, like, I'm, I'm pretty okay with what happened from the fan standpoint. So all of y'all that were there, again, that's what we need to do. Uh, it's funny. Texas is apparently went from not SEC-ready to SEC-ready in uh, 12 months. So I'm banging the drum this week on this conversation point of moral victories, right? And I when... I don't believe in moral victories when it comes to sports. Like, obviously, I have a five-year-old, so, like, we'll talk about, like, you tried hard. You worked really hard, buddy. But, like, when it comes to the Texas Longhorns, there's a, there is a level of expectation where moral victories don't exist. And I think the, the Longhorns are at that level of expectations. But I think there's a difference, and we have to, like, parse the conversation. There's nuance between saying this is something to build on. And saying this is saying, well, we almost won, right? The Aggie victory is not a real thing in burnt orange, right? Well, we almost beat Alabama doesn't exist for the folks uh, in Austin. But being able to say that Texas, after being called soft 
and after being called soft for a decade, was able to stand there and go toe-to-toe, punch-for-punch, haymaker-for-haymaker, make the Heisman winner drive not once but twice to win the game. That's something to build on. That's not a moral victory. That's saying, you can do this. Now go do it again 10 more times. There's a difference there. Right, It's not saying, because after the game, and there was this dumb tweet from Danny Connell, who's an absolute idiot, but Sark said, you know, Sark in the game was like, you know, that's one of the best teams in the country, and in a weird way, I feel good about where we are as a program, right? And so he responded, well, Sark, they shouldn't feel like they've arrived, blah, blah. And like, in the literal same press conference, in the same statement, Sark said, our season will not be defined by how we play, th- uh, our season will be defined by how we play throughout the entirety of the season. Somebody asked DeMarvian Overshone if that felt like a win. You know what he said? At the, end of, at the end of the day, it's an L on our side and we just got to come back and work tomorrow. Like, these players are not in the mindset of a moral victory. Those guys were pissed that they let Alabama walk out of there with a win. Those guys were upset because you know what? After hearing a year, after hearing an entire offseason about five and seven, losing to Kansas, five and seven, losing to Kansas, Texas is soft. Is Texas ever going to be back? Blah, 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 blah. Being able to come out and be within an inch of beating the big, bad Alabama Crimson Tide. There's no moral victories when you're the long, Texas Longhorns. But being able to say nobody on my schedule is Alabama is a thing you can say. Kelvin Banks looking at everybody across the line from him saying, you are not Will Anderson, and I made Will Anderson pay. Christian Jones saying, you are not Dallas Turner, and I kept Dallas Turner from getting to my quarterback. That, to me, is something you can build on. That's not a moral victory, but you sure put that feather in your cap, and you walk a little taller, and you have that Texas swagger, and you go out and say, you are not going to punch me as hard as Alabama, but I'm going to punch you as hard as I punched Alabama. And that's what you take away from this game. It's not a moral victory, but you're able to say and walk with confidence that you didn't have seven days ago. I love it. I heard one of the BON writers call it a a, a Pyrrhic moral victory, which is just a (laughs) hilarious term because we are the walking wounded, but I think though physically we may ail mentally we are strong and and this this proved that they were the only 100 you know 20 people in the entire world who thought that Texas could win this game they all they all uh shared a locker room so um good for them right the the um the idea of a moral victory i think is wrong i've always disputed this right and victories sometimes in war i guess are not necessarily moral or immoral um it should be a morale victory is how that term should be i will fight that until the day i die um and uh but you know again screw it it shouldn't be a morale victory either it should have been a real victory tough breaks tough refereeing tough injuries tough everything Get them next year in Tuscaloosa and really prove it to them. Let Quinn Ewers go out and uh, and have something to say and play all four quarters uh, about what keeping the Texas quarterback healthy looks like. But uh, let that light a fire under your belly for the rest of the season. Let that belief that you had be true and carry on and, and, and lift the rest of the season up. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time. <laughs>
Hook'em. Hook'em. You robbed me of my headline, Auburn.